Still Kirby. Lovely check. Kirby! Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of Fran Kirby's Fight Club, your one-stop listen to all things Chelsea FCW, and of course, the absolute legend, the 100 goal scorer, that is Fran <laughs> Kirby. I'm Andre Carlisle, writer and a podcaster. Apologies for being a week late in wrapping up, in dropping this episode. I was a little bit away, <laughs> I was covering the NWSL Championship game, uh, so schedules were a little tight and couldn't make it work, but we are back in your ears. Sounds weird when I say it that way, but we are back talking to you <laughs> here. And I am here, as always, you can hear a giggling at me with this awkward intro. Uh, Miriam. Miriam is here with me. Miriam, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. And I, I guess if you're apologizing, I've got to apologize too, because I was also away um, down in Brighton for a few days for my birthday, which was which was pretty cool. But I was also secretly missing this podcast and, and knowing that when we came back, we had a little bit of explaining to do. So uh, we're back. Um, we've got a lot to talk about today. So if, if we're all good and we play the year, <laughs> I'm ready to get cracking. <laughs> but before we do, happy birthday. That's oh, always thank exciting. You. Yes, yes, it was yes. my birthday yesterday. But like I said, I, I spent a few days down in Brighton with my boyfriend, which was really, really great and really good fun. Uh, and we kind of missed the rain. So that's always a, it's always a plus, especially down here. <laughs> Positive birthday vibes. I, I like it. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, on this episode, what we're going to do is we're going to talk through the Birmingham match that happened, uh, what, a week ago, I suppose. Uh, and we are then going to transition and talk about the FA Cup final that is coming up. Obviously, remember, this is last season's FA Cup, so it's gonna it's still on that weird COVID pandemic schedule, but it still counts. It's still a trophy and it's still on the line and it will be Chelsea versus Arsenal at Wembley. So we will absolutely talk about that. Uh, but first, let's talk about Birmingham a little bit because this match was really, really fun. I was actually a little, I, I, even though obviously I was away and we just mentioned that we just schedules didn't work, I was sad and I did miss this podcast too because that was fun. It was a 5-0 mm-hmm. win by Chelsea. Fran Kirby got two goals. Sam Kerr got a first half hat trick and she busted out a backflip for us. Very, very fun match to watch. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think we when we spoke about it a few weeks ago, um, we talked about maybe it being 2-0 or 3-0. Uh, but 5-0, a hat-trick from Sam Kerr, plus Blackfoot, um, Fran Kirby getting her 100th goal. It just is like all the stars aligned perfectly. And, and I do feel sorry for Birmingham that they had to be on the other end of that because for the, like just watching them, you do feel bad. They struggled so much defensively with that counter. They just were simply unable to cope with the Chelsea attack from the get-go and I think we could see how we were making use of that so from what I was seeing myself we were utilizing the width positions a lot and and then exploiting the central gaps there was quite a lot of gaps in between each defender so they were being stretched and pulled apart and then absolutely exploited down the middle from Brian Kirby I think the biggest issue was definitely that um that fullback or the left fullback and the centre-back area um but it seems like Emma Hayes picked the perfect team the perfect formation to target all of Birmingham's weaknesses yeah, you know, you speak of that team that she picked. Mm, not too many surprises, we could probably guess, but but there was certainly one big surprise, at least from my standpoint. So uh, we'll run through it. It was a 3-4-3 as expected, is what we do. Um, but it seemed like Jess Fleming was up there with uh, Sam Kerr and Fran Kirby. Uh, then we had Gould Wrighton at left wing back, Melanie Loopholes, and Drew Spence next to her in midfield with Aaron Cuthbert at right wing back. Magda Erickson, Jess Carter, and Millie Bright. Uh, Miriam, how do you think Drew Spence 
did in this uh, kind of a uh, maybe a rare start and certainly in midfield, um, a rare start in midfield for Drew Spence. How do you think she did? I think this is one of those occasions where Emma Hayes picks a team that is perfect for the opponent. And I think that picking Drew Spence for this game showed exactly that. I really liked Spence's performance. I think she was really useful in, as I mentioned, stretching the opposition defence to provide those opportunities centrally. But also, looking the other way, covering that space to prevent counterattacks down the flanks and, and not having a lot of pressure on our on our wing-backs and our full-backs. I think she was there to do a job and she did it really well. And it worked. It worked quite seamlessly because it allowed her to be a part of both the transitional counterattacks but also the other way and I think um, I also really enjoyed her relationship with the players around her for as you say someone who hasn't really played a lot in this team and in this brand new formation that we're sort of um, presenting this season so it was quite interesting to see Emma Hay roll the dice like that because it's not something she does or it's not something something she's found a little difficult to do picking players that are sort of out of the comfort zone or players that haven't had a lot of chance to play across the season and maybe this is a sign for us potentially needing Spence in the next few games. Yeah, I thought it was very, very good match from Spence as well. I was quite surprised to see her, you know, get picked in the starting lineup. I thought, you know, maybe might see, you know, Sophie Ingle or something like that, because that's what we've been seeing. Obviously, y'all know me. I was also hoping maybe, just maybe, we would see Jesse Fleming uh, in that <laughs> midfield <laughs> role. But uh, but we did not. Jesse Fleming was starting up top again. But just uh, Drew Spence did a very, very good job. I, I'm looking at I was looking at the stats and and just seven tackles um, uh, overall in the match, which was the highest by far. Guru was second with three, and the number of pressures nineteen, successful twelve. So also led in pressures, uh, which was just really, really important. And seeing how much she basically was like her job was basically just don't let Brighton get out. Like what they yeah, want to do was- is they want to counterattack. Don't let them do it, and she didn't. It was very tactical. It was very sort of like a, an analytical, very sort of logical thinking by Emma Hayes to have a player that already does what this team is doing now but hasn't played for a while would fit seamlessly into the formation and the, the style of playing. As you mentioned, with the pressing and the pressure from the front, they were targeting Brighton in a sort of almost a diamond position, that front four pushing up high. And, and, and sort of Birmingham were really struggling in covering all the space because they were being stretched a lot from the pressing and then those gaps were opening up. And, and I don't mean like small gaps in between the central defence or in between the left back and the and the central defender. I mean like almost acres of space and those were the spaces that were being utilised. So I think having Spence in there, as you mentioned, um, with the stats you've just said, it was it was very fitting to have her in there and that's really that's really exciting, at least for me. Um, it's probably a bit strange to say it's exciting, but it's exciting to see how she fit how she did fit into this team. Oh yeah, no, I think it's very exciting. I mean, I, I we've kind of been trying to make sure that like when we play these games, you know, against competition that we are expected to beat, you know, you, you do wonder like, how do you get the lineup right? Do you just put in a secondary 11? You know, we've seen that we've talked before, right? About that being very, very difficult. You know, last season, the loss versus Brighton, uh, even this season, what was it? Uh, was it Aston Villa uh, mm-hmm. that we ended up just barely getting a win over? Um, so like, yeah, we've had moments like this and when you come up against opposition like this, you know how they're going to defend you and you know they're, how they're going to try and, and kind of hold on to a point if they can. It's interesting to see that Drew Spence pops up and may end up being a solution in matches like this. Yeah. And, and as you say, it's, it's almost a way of thinking about, okay, this team is obviously trying to have a certain vision in mind, a certain way of playing and adapting. And Emma Hayes has made that her mission this season, but how do we add to that? How do we 
how do we adapt to the team? Is that something I felt like we were struggling to do in the latter half of last season, especially in the in the Champions League campaign? We talked about those first legs and adapting was a big issue. But to have a player that's so versatile like Drew Spence that can fit into an attacking press, um, that can play the passes and also cover space in defence, those are the kind of players you want to need. And I do feel like Emma Hayes has kind of been sitting on her for a while finding the perfect spot to have her in the same way Wrighton's kind of worked her way back into the team and I think she's finally realising that this could be the solution we need that that issue that we have with a fullback space or the issue that we might have in midfield there's another option it's not just sort of being all and, and G and Lou Poltz that we have Drew Spence as well to use and you know there was another player that came in that got me really excited <laughs> we finally saw her we finally yeah. saw her in the league Lauren James came in believe it was in the 67th minute uh, for Jesse Fleming, got into that forward line. Before I go, I want to know what you thought. How do you think she's looking in Chelsea Blue? How do you think she's fitting in so far? Limited appearances, obviously. So obviously caveats with there's still a lot of work to be done. But already, I think you can see what you see already, I think is pretty exciting. Absolutely. It's like, as you say, limited performances and limited times to play. But when she is called upon, it's almost like it's it's her natural way of playing. She fits in so perfectly. She fits in the press. She fits in the utilisation of space. And, and the one thing that really stands out for me is the runs she makes. It's almost like there's, there's a bit of a Sam Kerr to the, the runs she makes in when, when the ball's being put through either by um, you know one of the number 10s or number 8s. It, it's very sort of instinctive for her. And that striker element is always a good option to have because, you know, you've got Fran Kirby plays in the number 10 role and you've got um, you've got Harder who's using the flank positions, but that second striker almost like playing slightly behind Kerr. It's it's exciting that you can move players around like that. And it's just another, it's another Chelsea player who is interchangeable in our attack. And that's exactly what the best teams have. You see it a lot on the men's side, you know, Liverpool, Manchester City. It's 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 very much a thing of, of high quality teams. And I think that... Um, all those demands, all those things that are being asked of her, she's really pushing through and proving that she can do it. And you know what? I, I just, I'm a big fan of Lauren James, obviously, but I really, really, really love her skill on the ball. And and to couple it, like you mentioned, her awareness, her ability mm-hmm. to drift in and out and find space wherever that space may be. And then her ability to use that space is also really, really good. There was one move that I absolutely loved and I'm so disappointed that I couldn't figure out how to, I couldn't rewind it because I think I was having a watch on the <laughs> FA player. So I couldn't rewind and do my little, you know, gift capturing thing that I like to do. I was, it was, she got the ball, the ball was rolled out. She had to run kind of towards the byline to, to get it. Ooh, and when she got this. it under control, her back was to the defender. And she basically did this like little shimmy shoulder shake and then turned. <laughs> and it's like she completely like lost the defender and she didn't even see the defender. <laughs> she just kind of peeked behind and was like, oh, yeah, this defender is way too tight to me. All I have to do is wiggle a little bit and I'm going to get right by him. And that's exactly what she did to so, like that kind of stuff, that kind of like just being able to beat. So, I mean, she's so hard to defend 1v1. It doesn't matter if she's facing you up. Or if you're, or if you're close to her, or if she's facing the other way, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I'm looking at uh, fbref.com right now, and they have a little stat section called shot creating actions uh, that I like to look at from time to time, just to kind of see, because you know, in this sport, not everything that somebody does leads in an assist or goal, right? So sometimes you want to see like where's the creativity coming from, who's up there in and generating chances for their team to score. And of course, the, you have the big, the big ones. Obviously, Gore right and led with seven, uh, mm-hmm. which you would expect. Her delivery is just incredible, and she's been finding a lot of space as a left wing back. The other, uh, the other two were Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby, obviously with five. 
We just mentioned Lauren James got in the game at what, 67th minute? She had four. It's crazy. It's really, it's just, again, it's another sign of how well she fits into this team. She's an Emma Hayes player through and through. And it has down to the recruitment of that and, and also finding ways that she can fit better into this team. And, and as you say, it's clearly a perfect fit. She's come on in the second half, still half an hour to go and, and creates chances instant, instantly, instinctively, um, almost sort of like, providing for the front two who who as you say Karen Kirby already have their own set of skills or already are able to create and score their own chances but now you have this other thing just to almost get power from and it's just it's really exciting and I'm really glad that we finally get to see her because it's been a while yeah it's been it's been a it's been a it's been a wait it's been frustrating you know we've we've kind of been like all right when are we gonna see lauren james hopefully she gets in because you know as the team builds in this new formation you hope that she is able to build with it and grow and get some time obviously we know she came from you know manchester united with a bit of an injury so you know i do think it was really smart to make sure that that injury was fully healed because the the last thing you really want to have as a player that's brand new you know in their debut season come in get hurt come in and get hurt, and then they're in and out of the lineup, in and out of the lineup, and you can't really figure out where do they fit, where can you trust them, Should, you know, are they a sub, can they get in the best 11, you know, you don't really know what to do with them, you're just like, all right, if they're fit, maybe we'll see them at some point in the match, uh, but, you know, getting her fully fit has been really, really important, uh, and also, like I just mentioned as well, I, I'm, I keep dropping stats, but uh, this one I just checked on the number of dribbles, this is going to be one to check for every single match that she has, especially if she ends up starting a match anytime soon. Always check the dribbling uh, statistics when Lauren James is on the pitch. Uh, three attempted, three successful. <laughs> she is very, very difficult to get the ball from when she has that at her feet. Yeah, and anyone who, who's been watching United in recent seasons under Casey Stoney uh, would not be surprised at all because that's what she did then and, and it's what she's doing now. It's, she's so comfortable and so experienced in that element of her attack. I'm really not surprised at all that those were the stats. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and okay, before we move on to Arsenal, obviously we have to give a shout out. We mentioned at the top of the show, but first, you know, firstly, Sam Kerr, a hat trick, a backflip. I love that she <laughs> thought that she felt pressure to pull out the backflip again because I'm glad the teammates are one of us as well. Like the fans, we've been waiting for Sam Kerr. We want way more Sam Kerr backflips. We appreciated that she seemed to be saving it for special moments. But also, you know, give it to us a little bit. You know, every now and then just drop it because we need it. We've been waiting for it. We love it. It's good and for as soon film. as she did it, like the photos were all over the internet. <laughs> like like five seconds after she did it, everybody was throw- was posting the photo of her mid-backflip. It's amazing. Yeah, and I think she knows. She's aware of the effect she has on people when she does the backflip. <laughs> so she's like, okay, I have to just sort of, I have to kind of space it out. I don't, you know, I don't want to overwhelm the people, the fans. But as you say, whenever she does pull out the backflip, people go crazy for it, and and she kind of feeds off that because you know she's just a, she's a very joyous player. She's a joyous person. Um, and I, I was really excited myself. I was like, finally, you know, it's been so long. Yeah, she's scored a brilliant hat trick. You know, the goals are really good. But that's what we expect from her. What we don't expect is is to have you know. Uh, a backflip like that especially given the game like this there was no reason to almost think that you know respectfully playing against Birmingham having one against a team who was struggling there was no reason for her to pull it out the bag which she did and I th- I'm really glad the result the reaction was the reaction that it got I also want to drop these these quick stats because I dropped them on Twitter but I feel like they're worth repeating uh about Sam Kerr since 2017 and this is only league games so we know that she scored in the Champions League with Chelsea 
We know that she scored in League Cup and FA Cup games with Chelsea. This is only league games across three different continents, okay? In Australia, 11 league games, 13 goals. In the U.S., she played 62 league games in the NWSL This since 2017 and scored 51 goals. Oh, and in the U.K. and England, 30 games, 30 league games, 30 goals. Just that, an absolute machine. That is insane. That like averaging <laughs> really a goal a game to be that reliable and that consistent for that period of time, and On that means no continents. <laughs> no errors, no mistakes. It means absolute hundred percent efficiency with each opportunity and each chance that's provided to you. And considering how much we have, and we've got to throw our hands up, we have complained the last few seasons of her her clinicalness, and 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 fans have too, and people around the club, but. When you think of that, and now you think of these stats that you've just given, it's it's almost criminal. It feels criminal that we ever complained about her. It it absolutely is, and you know I'm I'm firmly in that camp. Like it is really hard to score a goal, but she still does it at a rate that is absolutely ridiculous. And that's with factoring in the chance that she'll miss a couple from time to time. Mm -hmm. But don't worry because she's gonna score. Like I'm never worried about Sam Kerr scoring goals because that's what she does. So yeah, it, it does get. It was a little frustrating when we first got. You know. When she first got there, before people realized you could rely on her as a goal scorer, you know, because she would miss a couple chances. But yeah, um, I don't think you can ask for a better goal scoring record, honestly. I mean, uh, damn near. I mean, in England, it, it's it's a goal a game in the league. I mean, that's mm -hmm. absurd. But like, yeah, I, if that's what you're getting from any striker, you're you're over the moon. And, and that's why such a rare talent, such a special talent. And speaking of special talents. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and celebrate the namesake of the podcast, Fran Kirby, 100 goals. And keep in mind, that's wild to me because she missed a whole season, uh, right? She was out what she played through. I think she, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think she had four appearances and three starts um, the season that was cut short by pericarditis. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, that is absolutely outrageous to be as young as she is, to have scored as much as she has, and she lost. Plenty of time, plenty of playing time as well. So she would have hit this a long time ago if she wouldn't have missed that year. But it just makes it to me, it makes it even more impressive that she is still like come back in even like she was great before. She's like God mode Fran Kirby now. And she's been just absolutely on a tear. And this just this hitting this milestone is impressive. And I like after the match, she said something like, you know, now that she finally has it, she can put it out of her head. And I'm like, it didn't seem like it was bothering you. Like it wasn't <laughs> evident from the outside, Fran. Like we had no idea. Yeah. And it's, it's that ability that she possesses though, to, to shake off everything that's been bothering her to, and considering all the setbacks she's been through, the, the pericarditis itself was traumatic enough for her, not for everything else she's been through with her mental health. And yet every time she comes into a season, every time she comes in after a break, it seems like there's, there's more, there's more to give from her. She always gives more and it's like, it's impossible. How, where is this energy coming from? She's simply a player that I, you know, I, she inspires me. She's just amazing. And there's not enough words and superlatives to really describe her performances and the effect she has. And I'm so happy for her that she reached this goal because, as you say, it's been a difficult couple of seasons for her and it must have been on her mind, but she's finally got it. And it seems like, you know, moving forward, there's only the only way from here is up. And there's absolutely no way I don't see her adding to that, especially with an, a, the kind of attack that Chelsea have right now. Yeah, I'm just forever in awe and amazed of the person that she is, what she has gone through, what she's overcome. I mean, so many of these things are like beyond the sport, just her as a human, you know, you're feeling for her, knowing the stuff that she's gone through, even if you can't directly relate 
to it, just knowing how difficult things were for her. It is, I mean, to, to go through those kind of battles, you know, losing your mom and then, and then, you know, questioning your, your place and your role in the sport and just, just going through all the emotions that you go through when, when such a devastating and sudden loss happens, but then also being hit with the double bad luck. And I, and I say bad luck almost quite facetiously because luck, bad luck doesn't even quite cover it. I mean, this is just devastating stuff, you know, pericarditis coming out, uh, mm. coming down with that. And then having that completely, having to rebuild yourself from that, which, you know, uh, I know that um, both Miriam and I have written about that period of her life. She's spoken on that period of her life and just how difficult it was for her to get out of bed, for her to go up and a, a flight of stairs. You're talking about one of the best professional athletes in the world, right? You're talking about one of the best footballers in the world, right? Uh, quick aside, uh, if your best list, whatever, um, I, I think I think FIFA, I don't know if it's FIFA. I don't want to attribute it to the wrong person, but I saw some <laughs> best list drop and Frank Kirby wasn't on it. Uh, I have questions. If she's yeah. not on your best list, you've got a problem and need to reevaluate. But back to Frank Kirby. <laughs> um, I just I just think that, you know, going through all of that, coming back in the form that she's been and you can see the joy on her face. Like she she's fi- she found a way to continue to love this thing even though she has had to work so hard just to be able to fi- to rediscover that love. You know, she talked mm-hmm. about that a lot as well, rediscovering the love for the game. And I just think that every goal, every assist, every win, every performance is just like, she deserves it so much. She deserves it so much. And I am so happy to see her hit this milestone because she's, I mean, there can't be a more deserving player. And I say deserving as if she was given something. She did it herself, right? (laughs) She scored those goals. But just like for me, I am so happy that she got, that she hit this milestone and that she continues to succeed on the level that she is because she absolutely deserves all of the credit and plaudits for everything that she has done and brought to the game. Oh, I think if you carry on, I might start to cry. <laughs> it's really sweet. I think I think absolutely we both agree on that. Um, it, we're so sort of happy for her and congratulations to her. And, 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 you know, we know from her past experiences that she's going to be able to push on now from here, considering that she, she called it a, a burden or something that was holding her down. Now that she's free of that, we're, the only way from here is is even more goals and even more assists and even more brilliant performances. And what better way to do it than actually in an FA Cup final? Transition. Thank you for taking <laughs> care of that one for me. <laughs> I was thinking about it, how, how to do it seamlessly the entire time. <laughs> you you nailed it. You. Thank you. Uh, yes, Chelsea plays Arsenal at Wembley on December 5th. Give me one second to figure out exactly what time it is because I need to do all the math and all that business in my head. Time zones are a terrible thing for me. Uh, 9 a.m. on uh, Eastern Time in the States, which makes it 2 p.m. Uh, in the UK. Sound correct? My math checks out. Off. Okay, good. Math checks out. Yes, uh, at Wembley, of course, as mentioned. So let's preview this one. This, to me, is obviously a massive match. It obviously is a chance to add to last season's trophy tally, right? So that would be good as well. It would be our what, third stro- trophy because we defended the League Cup and we won the uh, the WSL. So it would be our third trophy. Um, actually, would it be our third or fourth? We count the, the Community Shield situation? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, there is a trophy at the end of it. <laughs> it's, it's that, oh, that age-old conundrum. Do we count the Community Shield? Does it matter? Uh, sure, when you win it, it matters. So there you go. Um, but yeah, this is an Arsenal side, obviously the very first league game of the season at Arsenal did happen to beat Chelsea three to two. 
there were a whole lot of caveats and asterisks to that game from a Chelsea perspective, new formation, not all of our players back fit, everything like that. Uh, so you do have the caveats. Chelsea is obviously in much better form since then. But Mariam, what are you kind of looking forward to in this game besides just a matchup of two very good teams? Well, it's like you say, it's it's a much more difficult game this season. I think the Arsenal of last season, I wouldn't have been as worried about that. Not because they weren't as good, but that there were far more uh, ways to exploit them. And this season, it's quite different. You know, no longer under Joe Montemiro, they're doing really well in the season. Top of the league, um, just about similar on goal difference, uh, one point ahead of us. Uh, there's a lot that we saw, that we have seen from them this season, especially, as you say, in that opening game of exactly where they were headed this season. I was taking a look at some of their recent games, and the one I really wanted to focus on was um, the game against United, which they won 2 0. Now, a lot of that in the game was moments of individual brilliance, like, you know, Medima scoring a bang from outside the box, the the width play through their fullbacks, which has always been quite um, a strong point of Arsenal teams, men and women's. But the thing that I, I realized um, was much more interesting was how um, they were they weren't crossing the ball a lot. They were using ball to feet in the box, um, ball on the ground, uh, and sort of allowing the chances to be set up. And there were a lot of players in different positions, both number 10 and 8, um, in the box, trying to find positions where they could shoot. And that was making it quite difficult for the United keeper. I think it was Mary Earps to to really kind of um, push the ball away because the box is always crowded. And I think that was a very specific tactic because Arsenal were overloading. They were overloading in a way that um, they didn't need their flank and their width to use that. So it was really interesting to see all that stuff. And I think United made it quite easy for Arsenal. Um, and I think it could be slightly jarring for Arsenal then to come up against a team that's much harder so soon in succession. Um, not to say United were extremely easy and that they were extremely poor in the same way, respectively, Birmingham were against us. But um, they made it quite easy for Arsenal to play out seamless counterattacks and transitions, ball to ground, ball into the box, um, through balls, a lot of sort of... Um, intricate passing and I think that they're going to find coming up against our team that presses a lot and doesn't allow for that possession uh, to become a, a, a sort of a pattern or a pattern of play or a passage of play I think they're going to find that very difficult yeah and you know what let's keep the focus on Arsenal here because they are like you mentioned they have kind of rebuilt themselves right they were not our primary rival for the past couple seasons, um, you know, that's been Manchester City, who are just in horrible form. We've talked about that <laughs> enough. Uh, but yeah, it seems like Arsenal has rebuilt in our back. You know, some of it is signings, uh, new signings that they brought in, but obviously it's their new manager, uh, Jonas Eideval, who's been doing a very, very good job, you know, implementing a style there. Seems like all of the players have taken to it. They have they started the season really, really hot. You know, they got a, lot, a big boost from beating Chelsea the first game of the season. They've been on and they've been on a goal scoring tear. But as of late, it seems like they have hit some stumbles. You know, obviously they faced Barcelona in the Champions League group stage. That was a bit of a humbling because even though it was 4-1 on the scoreline, it could have been a lot worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Barcelona really dominated that match. And we're we're familiar with being dominated by Barcelona. <laughs> so we understand that you can get humbled in those ways. Uh, Arsenal did bounce back a little bit. But then in the North London Derby, for me, against Tottenham, they drew 1-1 and honestly were very lucky to draw. I believe their winner, their, their equalizer came in stoppage time. And it was one of those things where um, the Spurs were doing putting in a whole lot of work. And actually, Spurs missed a chance to go up 
I believe, 2-0 um, pretty late in the match as well. There was a, I think it was Neville who had, ended up skying a shot when she was wide open in front of a, in front of a wide open net. And that was that was kind of devastating, especially for me, you know, as a Chelsea fan. I was like, come on, stop. <laughs> you, you, you Just put the ball in the net. It's, it's right in front of you. So, yeah, that was kind of frustrating. But my question to you a little bit is, given those two results, and we've seen that teams been, have been able to at least frustrate Arsenal for lengthier periods of time early than they were earlier in the season. You know, even the United result that you were just talking about had to wait until the second half to, for Arsenal to get their goals. So they are seeming to be coped with a little bit more. Um, do you think that Arsenal have come back down to earth a little bit? And do you think that that might play into Chelsea's hands because Chelsea are clearly going to be up for not only winning a trophy, but also a little bit of revenge because they are the only you know, negative mark on our record so far. I think it's less about coming um, sort of back to the ground for Arsenal than it is about um, teams coming into form and also teams kind of figuring out their own plan. I think in the first sort of few weeks of the season, it's a little bit messy. Some teams are having new regimes, new formations like Chelsea did. I'm not really sure in terms of new management like Spurs have in the last few seasons with Rahane Skinner. Um, so I think it's it's that teams are coming into form now and Arsenal finding it much more difficult to play in the sort of high counter, high transition way that they were playing in the beginning of the season. Yeah, the goals have been flowing and, and as you say, they're pretty much on par with our record in terms of goals scored and goals against. Um, but I think that one way that... Uh, one of the good things about that United game is that United quickly learned that um, one way of stopping Arsenal was to press in midfield and not allow those those patterns of possession to reach players like Medima. I mean, they made two mistakes. Well, they made quite a few mistakes, but two big mistakes that led to two goals. But that was one way in which they they tr- they managed to slow Arsenal down. And a better team like we are uh, are going to be able to do that to greater lengths. Now, our midfield... Um, with Drew Spence, uh, I think that is a very good game plan or, or blueprint to go into that game because, as you say, when you have attackers that are able to press and lead from the front, you're really increasing the chances of counter-attacks and transitions. And that's something that um, that Arsenal have struggled in the past with. They have a lot of attackers who aren't as good in defence as our attackers are in defence. And I think that's exactly where we might be able to hit them. So... The chances of us providing a good game are, yes, they are increased, but it's not so much as Arsenal coming, at least in my opinion, coming down to the ground. I think it's the fact that we've tightened things up and that we know the formation, we know the players, we know exactly how we want to play. And it's much more difficult for other teams to read that when you have a, a game plan in mind. Um, and I think that Emma Hayes is going to approach the game like that. And she'll, she'll probably, you know, rattle off a scoreline and, and some tactics and, and as per usual, get them right like she did last time. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is you know, for, for Arsenal, this is kind of a big deal for them. You know, they, this is their chance at their first domestic trophy since the 2018-2019 season and the first FA Cup since 2015-2016. So it has been a while for them. And given their history, that is probably quite a lot. So we will see what ends up happening from their point of view. But we do know, as, as Mariam said, how Chelsea is going to approach this. And I think Chelsea... Anytime there's a trophy on the line, Emma Hayes has preached a level of ruthlessness into the team. You get you get a you get a Chelsea that is very very determined and very 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 eager to go ahead and drop goals as quickly as they can so they sew sew up that uh, the route to the trophy. But also, I think you're also going to find 
that this Chelsea team is going to be quite upset with this particular Arsenal team because I think they even felt like, you know, Arsenal has been getting a whole lot of credit recently for how good they've been playing. And we kind of stepped on the pitch a little cold. You know, they had been playing competitive matches for a while and in order to stay in the Champions League. And we hadn't. Uh, certainly we had players that were coming back from the Olympics and all of that. And they just narrowly got us. Just narrowly got us. And I think if you look at it, we still could say that that that, that winning goal was yeah. offside. And but we know I it. Know you and I know it. it we do know it. <laughs> um but I, my question kind of is is centered around, or I've got a few questions for you, but but actually, let's start with uh, Pernilla Harder. Um, we've known that she's been out a bit uh, since the last international break. Uh, we know that she had some 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 injury issues, and Emma Hayes was saying that she's close, but not quite ready yet. But thinks that she's going to be, you know, she stayed after, didn't join up with Denmark during this international break. The thinking is, and from what Emma Hayes has been saying that uh, Pernilla Harder should be ready to go by the final, should be fully fit. If that is true, because her last match was a Champions League match on the 13th of October. So that was more than a month ago. Um, Well, her last Chelsea match. So if she is back, if she is fit, do you put her in the starting lineup? It's, It's difficult for me because I'm thinking, you know, Obviously, here here's a chance to win another trophy and add to our record for last season. But at the same time, is it more important than the schedule we have up ahead, which is getting increasingly, um, increasingly difficult, strenuous on the players in a sort of fitness and athletic sense, and, and also more important in terms of the league position because both um, Arsenal and 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 to a certain extent other teams like Tottenham are really putting the pressure on us, and we have to sustain that. If she's not, if she's coming in after all that time, and 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 I'd rather see her off the bench. And if that was the case, then possibly Fran Kirby could occupy that space. And if that's what she was doing before she was pushed slightly more central, it just means that there'd be more space centrally for either G or whoever's playing in that role to push up. And, you know, G's going to need no invitation to play in that floating striker role. <laughs> she, it's, it's what she wants. It's what she does best and she does it oh so well. So if that was the case, it would just mean reshuffling everyone around a little bit. And it's it's familiar to us because it's what we were doing all of last season. I think I'd prefer that safety and that protection of, of knowing um, that we could bring her on for a little while in the second half because before she went out, um, before she's been off the last few games, she was scoring a lot, frequently yes. providing assists and she, she was coming into her peak form and I don't want to risk that. What about you? What do you think? You know, you, you've actually convinced me the other way. <laughs> before oh, I, I asked you that question, I really was thinking, you know, I want her back in the starting lineup because I miss I miss watching her play. I miss I miss having that threat from her and all of the different, you know, all just her entire skill set as an attacker is so vast. I just love watching her play. But you're right. You know, I pull up the schedule in December 5th, obviously, FA Cup final. Three days later, we're playing the our, our Champions League group stage yep. against Juventus. Three days after that, we're playing Reading in the league. Three days after that, or five days after that, I'm sorry, we're playing Wolfsburg again, and that's away, you know, in Germany. Then three days after that, we're playing West Ham in the league. Uh, And then we finally take our little, like, um, holiday break from December 19th until January 9th when we come back January 9th and play Spurs. So, yeah, now that I kind of look at it, I'm kind of thinking, you know what, you might might have the the patient approach might be the best (laughs) approach. And I hate that because I really want her to start. I really think that her coming back and dropping a couple of goals on Arsenal would be an amazing thing. Yeah, but there's but, no reason why she can't do that coming on as a sub. 
It would be, I mean, it would be even sweeter to come on late in the game, barely touch the ball, barely have done anything, and to score the winning goal and, and celebrate in front of the I was going to say, it all depends on what happens before she gets on the pitch, right? <laughs> if, if, if she's able to come on and score a winning goal or, or get the goals that we need, then that's excellent. That's like best case scenario. But she could also start and get the goals that we need and then, you know, off be off at halftime yeah. or at the hour mark. I don't know. I'm but But you've convinced me. I think... It's probably best that even if she is fit, it has been such a long time um, mid-season, I guess, to have this sort of injury and miss so many matches that it might be a better idea for her to come off the bench. And, uh, and I just hate doing it in the final. I know, but just remember, if she if she doesn't play, then like, and we have to shift around our players. Like I said, it will be uh, a formation or a um, sort of lineup that we played all of last season. It might be slightly tweaking things, but we're comfortable with it. It won't be that we have to adapt suddenly to something new because Hard is not playing with it. So if, even if she's not there, I'm quite comfortable that we'll, we'll be able to adapt. And I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I the, the one thing that we haven't quite done that I really kind of want to see us do, I know we've kind of plugged Jess Fleming into that top attacking line. I would really like to see a 3-4-1-2 uh, with Fran Kirby as the one and then Beth England and Sam Kerr up top. Mm -hmm. um, I would really like to see that. That might be a very, very interesting thing and a very, very interesting approach to, to playing this Arsenal team. And, you know, Emma Hayes is certainly going to have a trick. At least one trick. She's <laughs> gone too long uh, without without being able to, yeah. to put out the team uh, for a little bit. It's been this a international break. She always has a little something that she adds. We usually mention that. So this is going to be interesting. And she should she could come out with a three four one two. Um, but let's move to the midfield real quick because, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we were we both were really excited with Drew Spence's role. But obviously, that was against Birmingham City. Birmingham City, no disrespect, is not Arsenal. So do you think Drew Spence has done enough to be a serious consideration, perhaps to start in the midfield for another I, match? I really do think so. And the reason why I think is because she's going to be especially useful against an Arsenal team that like to play in between the lines. And by that, I mean uh, finding the gaps to play passes through to Medima. And once those passes are through to um, players like her, she's able to curate chances that are risky and dangerous. And I don't think Emma Hayes wants to risk that, especially if the you know the whole revenge narrative is 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 going to go perfectly. Like we want to be in a position where we're not um, putting ourselves at risk. And I think that Drew Spence um, is a really experienced player in that sense to to sort of, sort of block out the opportunities for doing that, both um, by stopping the defence from being stretched to the flank areas, reducing pressure on the central defenders, and then in, in turn pressing high up the pitch to to sort of stimulate those counters. And Arsenal's defence, they really struggled against Spurs, and I didn't, I didn't expect that. And I think when I saw that game and I was thinking, OK, actually there is a way to to push past them and our high press is going to really force them to do that. And I think if we know we have Drew Spence in there, we can afford a little bit more um, in the counter-attacking sense. So I personally think that this is a perfect game to try her out. Maybe, you know, maybe it's in the first half. Maybe she has to come on for whatever reason, but I think she definitely deserves some game time against Arsenal. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point. I mean, I was trying to think about what would be, you know, the actual, you know, midfield starting two. And I think it is going to be difficult because Arsenal does like to move the ball, like you mentioned, on the ground through midfield. And they try to, you know, open teams up that way. So it is going to be important to make sure that that midfield two is correct. And that's why I don't think we're going to see G. We're probably going to see definitely, that's a definitely probably, which doesn't make any <laughs> sense, but whatever. Uh, loopholes. I think we're absolutely going to see her. So it just is a matter of who plays next to her. You could probably do Sophie Engel more defensively solid, 
quite good at, at understanding and pressing when she needs to, but does sit back a bit. Drew Spence might actually be a good kind of combination. She's a little more athletic, a little quicker, I believe, and can and can be able to get in the way of those passing lanes as well. She showed the ability to do that, obviously. Arsenal's a much different test than Birmingham City, but I, I think that I think that and, and you let me know if this is not what you were saying, but I think my read on it uh, from what you've been saying and from what we saw versus her, it's not necessarily about who she was going up against. It was about how she was fitting within the entire structure yes, of the team, yeah. right? Because what they what the team needed, the job the team needed her to do, she was very good at. And so the same, and I think she's going to need to be something quite similar in order to make sure to break up Arsenal, being able to move the ball the way they want to, and to be able to reclaim possession and keep the ball moving. And that actually does give me a little bit of um, a little bit of hesitation in thinking, yeah, it might be a very difficult decision for for Emma Hayes between um, Sophie Engel and Drew Spence. Obviously, I still would like to see Jesse Fleming, but I don't think now against <laughs> Arsenal in a final is the time you do that first, right? So uh-huh. this is going to be quite interesting, I think. Hmm. Hmm. I'm after uh, this is a, I when we do these podcasts, I always come up with like questions, or I'm like, you know what? Now I'm just I I, I just <laughs> now I'm I'm gonna be thinking about this until until the lineup drops. Uh, one more one more lineup note. Um, Another injury that we've had seemed to be a slight injury, much more slight, I believe, than what uh, Pernilla Hart has been dealing with. But Anik Nowen had a little injury as well. Uh, Emma Hayes said in a, against uh, Birmingham, and I believe the match prior, that she just didn't want to risk it, uh, injuring it further. So given the time off, and she did not end up joining uh, Netherlands, as she usually does for their uh, international matches, um, might we see Nowen step in in the back line? I really hope so because I, you know, I've spoken on her since she started and and her performances, and I think she she provides the balance in the defense where we've seen Ericsson or um or Bright struggle to to play against play alongside other players. She has that presence. She has a bit of what Bright is good at playing out from the back, and she's also very strong um in her defense. And I think that combination worked for us at the beginning of the season. I think if she wasn't injured, she would have probably played. That probably would have been the three the preferred three to go with. So if there's a chance of her coming back in, I think Emma Hayes will slot her back in and she's not going to want to take any risks against this Arsenal attack because they're pretty much par on goals scored as us. I think they have conceded Leicester. So again, it's it's very important that we have a, um, both the defence and the midfield that are, are compact and strong and able to communicate well with each other because any imbalances, any instabilities, you can, you can expect that Arsenal will latch onto it. Yeah, and you know, I it was a very unfortunate time for her to pick up a little injury because it did seem like she was about to supplant herself in that central um, position in the back three, where it seemed like that was going to become the staple back three. But with that injury, you know, it's been, you know, Jess Carter has come back. We've also seen Mary Mielda. Shout out to her for being back. Love seeing that. Uh, she's back on the pitch. We also saw her go essential of that back three. I don't know. I don't even know if maybe you you switch Marion to like a right-sided uh, center back and you bring Millie Bright central you know so I, I'm I'm thinking that 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 could also be a possibility we haven't seen it as of yet but I think that could also be a possibility as well but in terms of in terms of Anik now and I am with you I hope that she is fit if she's fully fit I don't see any reason why she shouldn't be uh, in the center of that back three especially in a match this big absolutely so now my favorite part let's get to <laughs> predictions and I've purposely when you when you create the the doc that we follow, 
when you create the doc, <laughs> you get a lot of power. Oh, and the know. power that I had was to type Miriam's name before my own, which means she I has to give her prediction first. I wasn't aware of this rule. Otherwise, I might have <laughs> put myself up for making said briefs. But, you know, I'm a confident woman. Let's, let's do it. Let's go first. Uh, I think I'm going to go with a safe score, which is 2-1 Chelsea. Um, I think... It's going to take a while to kind of adjust to Arsenal's pattern of play in which time we might concede a goal. But I think I'm quite confident in our attacking options. Um, and I'm confident in Frank Kirby and Sam Kerr playing up front and scoring goals. So I think you're right. The narrative for revenge is ripe. And I think this is this is going to be it. 2-1. Ball's in your court now. Was that not enough time? Were you expecting <laughs> me to talk for hours and hours? No, no, no. That was enough time because I mm-hmm. actually, for this one, I had my uh, I had I my see. prediction ready. I, um, I do think it's going to be a tough match. Uh, I do think Arsenal is probably going to score first. I think Chelsea's going to have to do a lot of work to score back and equalize. Uh, but I think that's going to happen a couple times. So I'm I'm going with a two-two Chelsea Ooh. wins in penalties. Is what One I'm going penalties. with. Penalties. Yeah, I think it's going to be. I think it's. I mean, basically the. Both for all of my teams and and speaking especially on the Chelsea men's side as well, like just taking it all into account, this entire season NWSL, add that into the mix as well, has just existed to fray the hell out of my nerves. So that's why I'm going to go with this prediction because I think basically whatever would be the most stressful thing for me is going to be what occurs and 2-2 with a penalty <laughs> shootout at the end will absolutely do it. Okay, and then based on that, I've got to ask you quickly: Who would be your, you know, preferred choice of five to take penalties? Oh God, I don't even want and to think order. about that. <laughs> oh, I can't <laughs> think about that right now. You're killing me. You have thirty seconds. I'm not prepared. I'm podcast. not prepared to answer that question right now. Um, there's there are so many things that could happen to where certain players might still be on the pitch and might not. Obviously, I'm going with Fran Kirby. Uh, good Lord, Sophie Engel. Uh, this is not in any order because I can't do it that way. Um, oh, God. Yeah, I hate this. I hate this. Bright's taken a few for England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Millie Bright's done, done a few, but Melanie Loopholes, I think she can do uh, a, a quality penalty as well. Let's go with Millie Bright and, oh, geez. you know what? Jesse Fleming. She's going to come on Ooh. as a substitute, and Jesse Fleming is ice cold from the penalty spot. We've seen it. They basically won Canada a gold medal. So, yeah, I'm going with <laughs> Jesse Fleming uh, from the spot as well. Uh, she, Christine Sinclair is going to come out, going to fly over and come out of the stands and hand her the ball because that's the way it always has to work. She did it with Canada. It's going to work that way. I've I've just gotten ridiculous. You, have to <laughs> manifest you it asked now. me that question and now my brain just short circuited. <laughs> All right. Let's. Uh, so now I guess we're about to get out of here. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention before we do? Uh, no, I think that's pretty much everything. Like you say, good game to watch uh, last season's final and hopefully everyone who's able to watch it can. I know it's going to be live on some kind of um, channel in the UK, possibly BT Sport because they do a lot of women's football. I'm not sure of the situation in the States, Andre. Yeah, uh, me either, actually. Most of the FA Cup matches have been on, I believe, ESPN3, I want to say. So it's kind of like the ESPN app, their online kind of streaming service, or ESPN Plus, I suppose, is what they're doing now. Um, So it should be the same. I don't know if it's going to make it to actual like ESPN2 or something. But from the uh, podcast account, we will absolutely let y'all know where to watch. Chance for the Blues to add another trophy to their 
overflowing trophy cabinet. Uh, just make them wider. That's all. Just add add more and more spaces. <laughs> you know, just add more and more windows and doors and platforms to put the trophies on because we're not going to stop. This is what we do. Um, so yeah, for Mariam, I am Andre. This is Fran Kirby's Fight Club. Thank you for listening. We truly, truly appreciate you listening and the love for the podcast. If you are listening on an app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. Certainly leave a review. Um, the reviews really help um, us reach other people who love this team, who love Fran Kirby, who just love women's soccer overall. So yeah, uh, leave us a review. They are very kind when you do. We do read through them and do love them. So thank you so much. Um, also make sure you follow us on Twitter at Fran Kirby FC. Do try to tweet uh, the matches and we do like to drop uh, any Chelsea related, you know, you'll never know what you're going to see. You may see some videos that we want to share that we find come across some saucy moments from players where they're playing with Chelsea <laughs> and their international teams. You know, you may just basically use con- Chelsea content is what you're going to get from that Twitter account. So make sure you're following us. Thanks again for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. You said truly instead of truly. <laughs> I mean, you fried my brain with that question. I blame you. <laughs> I don't know why I found that so funny. <laughs> <laughs>